We're Not Dead, a podcast about a story of survival. Episode 15 of We're Not Dead, the official community podcast for We're Life. I'm your host, Brittany Brummerocker-Rocker, and Greg Miller. Brittany, 15 episodes. Hard to believe we've been doing this over a year now. Time flies by. I feel like we should do something special for episode 15. Uh, I think we should have Nick on again. Bam! Oh, oh there he well, is! Hey, Nick Voodoo, everybody. I mean, hi, everybody. So you guys might remember Nick. Nick Voodoo, he came on a few episodes ago. Yep, I was talking about uh, the cha- uh, the the episode before the big live event. Right. Oh, that was the short one. That was the yeah the, the the quickie. Gotcha. And if you remember, I said every third episode of a chapter, he'll be coming on and he'll be talking about his Voodoo Lounge predictions, which are very popular on the forums. Seemed to be. All right. So if you guys are ready, we'll just jump right into Mark of the Beast, part three of three. Do it, Brittany. Okay, so it starts off with Victor and Michael, and they are questioning Pippin. Kelly's just there. She's the, what What did they call her? The trained eye. She used to be a lawyer, so she's just watching for any lies or fibs or body language. Specialist, I think, might have been the term Spe- they used. Okay, fine. Specialist. Something like that? Mm-hmm. So Pippin says that he's not from L.A. He said that the others being held told him to follow the 10 freeway to Maple, and that's how he found the tower. He said he was here on holiday when everything happened. They were camping in Topanga, and out. I know we'll talk about this later, but he said they were camping. Did anyone else were thinking, you know, they, who, who's they, family? I didn't think so much of his family. I was, you know, friends of his. I mean, there's no indication as yeah, to how... Other survivors. Yeah, like, it, there's no indication as to how old he is. He mm-hmm. sounds like he might be in, like, mid-30s-ish-ish-ish, or, like, maybe 40s. So it might be family, but if, you know, we find out that he's a little bit younger than that, it's probably just a couple of his lads drinking Have you pints. ever seen 16 and Pregnant? Uh, no, I there have. There are sixteen-year-olds with babies and families. Right, I understand that, but I have standards, and I refuse to watch shows like that. He says that he was just looking for people outside of the market when the Maulers took him hostage. They had just driven back from the canyons. The Maulers took his friends as well, and they made them do awful things. Okay, so Pippin said that they had just driven back from out of the canyons. Now, do you know anything about L.A. geography? Like, what canyons? I mean, from where they're camping or what? I know nothing about L.A. geography. However, I did look at uh, Topanga uh, State Park's map, and it does say something about a canyon on there. So the map says there's a canyon, so that might be what they're talking about. Either that or Pippin's lying and hoping that no one has ever been to Topanga Park. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> um, at this point, Pippin is getting extremely frustrated and very angry. Apparently, he has a passport with him and feels that that should have some weight backing up his story. Victor then throws out there that it could be a fake. Pippin tells them that he's told them everything he knows to include the trails he took when he went camping, all of his friends' names, and all about the mall. Pippin again tells them that he doesn't know where the Maulers were headed. All he knows is that they split up in two groups. When he was questioned about if he had maybe seen Lizzie, he says that he doesn't remember seeing anyone new, and he remembers faces very well. So it would, if he had seen her, likely that he would have remembered. Victor is hung up on the fact that Pippin just walked away. Pippin says that the Maulers beat him until they thought he was unconscious. As soon as they turned his back on him, he ran away. He thinks everyone else was killed. He says that they did a poor job watching those held against their will as there weren't as many convicts thanks to the tower. So he knows about the war and whatnot. Michael asks Kelly what she thinks of Pippin's story. She says that it's hard to tell us she's never had to read a face as swollen as his. Pippin at this point is pleading to stay. He even offers himself to be locked up. But Michael decides to lock him up in a room by the guardroom and victim escorts him. When Kelly asks Michael if he feels safe locking Pippin up, 
he says that there's a fine line between keeping them safe and, and being completely inhumane. And I, I think that's a lesson he learned from the colony. Yeah, most likely. Kelly tells Michael that Pippin doesn't seem like the type of guy that would be spending time in a max maximum security prison. He has no tattoos and he's gangly. Michael agrees and says that he does have a passport. And according to it, his name is Pippin Elder. Kelly asks Michael if he still carries around his ID. Michael says that he doesn't, nor his dog tags. Michael says, then again, if this outbreak didn't occur, didn't occur overseas, it would be wise to carry around your ID so you're not considered just another refugee. But, he notes, if anyone can make a fake one, someone from Eastern Bay probably could. Not to mention, just to throw it out there too, mm -hmm. Lizzie's carrying her ID around and that's what saves her from being like absolutely wrecked by the Maulers when, they're, when uh, Tardus and Bricks first found her. So the end result is Michael says all they can really do is just keep an eye on him and see what happens. Then it cuts to Bert and Saul. And since the trail for Lizzie had gone cold, Saul and Bert are on a bird hunt. They're currently in LAX. They're having a hard time finding a chopper. Everywhere they look, they're only seeing airplanes. Bert even makes mention of a Hawaiian's airline plane that has crashed on the tarmac. Saul seems to be pushing himself a little too hard as he needs to take a break every now and then, and Bert says that he lets him nod off. Bert says all the helicopters flew out of Van Nuys, but since LAX is closer, they searched there first, and also because there's a Coast Guard station in the airport, but there was nothing there. Notable that Van Nuys might be a future stop, but it'd be a pain in the ass to get there, according to Bert. During a conversation between Bert and Saul, we get the hint that Bert's been nagging him a lot about how he's been feeling, and he's constantly asking if he needs his drip yet. I have a feeling that Bert's gaining a lot of respect for Saul at this point. I think that Bert, if nothing else, already had... had he, if he doesn't have Saul's respect already, he should, because Bert is dead if Saul isn't around. So if he's just yeah. getting it now, Bert's a bigger douche than I thought he was. <laughs> Bert's not a douche. You think he's a douche? I think that he has very douche. douchey qualities, and the only reason that... No uh, way! I am going to say it just this way. If you go back and you listen through season one... A lot of the same things that he was saying at the beginning of season two that everyone hated him for, he was saying in season one, but the reason that we all liked it was because everyone accepted it. And like all the people like Michael and Angel and Saul were accepting his snideness in season one. But then when he took control, they didn't like it. But his exact same personality was rubbing people the wrong way. That's why I think that Bert can be very douchey and just people let him go with it because he's Bert. Greg, rebuttal? Well, I, what, give me some examples of what you're talking about here from season one. Um, oh, Michael, I'm writing in my journal, see? Dick. And he throws it, and like he throws it down. Like, the very first time he gets to the tower, and he gets the journal put in his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. Like, just exa small things that's like that. That's just Bert being Bert. And he, I don't think Bert was ever designed to be a leader, so that's nope. why I think he's so negative when he, or so I, everybody you know, regards him so negatively when he takes over. I absolutely agree. He was not designed to be a leader. He's much more of a doer it's than a leader. It's one of those things where you you watch Michael's uh, you know uh, progression as leader, right? And he changes. He you know can change things on the fly. He can mm -hmm. add rules. He can react to a situation. Whereas Bert was very set in his ways. Hence, why Lizzie's gone to begin with, right? Right. And I mean, ultimately, all I'm saying is that Bert's personality is it, it has such an edge to it, and he can be very he can be such a spiky person to deal with. That it was just funny to me when I went back and listened, like, whatever, the fourth or fifth time I've listened through the entire show. I was like, wow, he really didn't change when he became a leader. He actually just stayed Bert, and everyone just didn't like it anymore. They didn't think it was as endearing or as charming. It's like the My Miley Cyrus song where they just say, that's just Miley being Miley. <laughs> yeah, or for those of us, or for a sports fan that, you know, maybe has never heard of Miley Cyrus, uh, Manny being Manny. Greg, so are you a fan of Miley Cyrus? Of course, who isn't? Come on. Let's get it together. The climb? The climb, Brittany? Are you kidding me? The climb? What the heck? So it's the climb. 
I lost a brain cell. No, it's, it's okay. Greg has a tendency to sing on these shows. Okay, so going back to the episode, Bert makes mention that ammo was found at the Coast Guard station. And then for the next few minutes, I don't get the whole airplane reference because I've never seen the film. What? You've never seen airplane? Oh, I have not. That's crazy. As soon as he you said, like it a lot. as soon as he said, the white zone is like, oh, please. Please let this go on for a while because it's going to be epically <laughs> awesome. Well, no, I was sitting there. I'm like, okay, this has to be some like homage to a movie because I didn't understand any of the white Betty. I don't understand. So anyway, some of the notable sentences that I picked up was, want me to have an abortion? And then Bert was talking to himself and responded with, it's really the only sensible thing to do. This is all from airplanes still. Everything. You're, you're reading all of it from airplanes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I should mention that. Therapeutically, there's no danger involved. So there's talk about an abortion, but we can talk about this later. Sure. So Saul can't stop thinking about what, hap- what happened at the furniture store. He's convinced that it was Lizzie. He says that once they find a chopper, they, meaning everyone else, can, can get in and go. He says he won't leave as long as she's out there. He's helping because searching for her via air is a whole nother story compared to searching for her on the ground. Bert is worried that the choppers at Van Nuys won't be big enough to hold everyone. They might hold three to four as they were made for new stations, but they need to fit 10 to 12. He also tells Saul that he'll stay with him until they find Lizzie, and he yet again apologized for what happened. And this is a good moment here. I like this. Saul responds with, you're a Marine. I kind of expected it. So when Bert teases Saul that he's finally coming back around, he says... This is Saul 2.0, part man, part plastic, tubing, drip thing. No. I laughed out loud. I, yeah, I was walking I was walking home, and I was listening to it, and I laughed out loud at that, yeah. I'm wondering if that was actually improv. I'm going to ask Casey. Uh, Bert then spots a big freaking chopper from the Coast Guard. So he's all excited, but as soon as he and Saul get closer to it, the tarmac looked as if it had been bathed in blood. There weren't bodies, but small fragments of them. Small, Saul makes a mention that the blood is dry. So it was a rescue site, but that chopper, according to Bert, never got off the ground. There are lots of shells surrounding the site, as well as an MP5. They also find the pilot's helmet. They search the helicopter. Bert notices several bullet holes carved into the side of it, and that it's also leaking red fluid. Bert says, I think this bird got its wings clipped. And that's the end of the episode. Um, oh, at the end of the episode, Michael Swan says, join us again Monday for the next episode. But that's a lie. Yes. It will be another two weeks. Why did, why did Michael Swan lie to us? And then after he know. says that, there's the advertisement for... For the, Outbreak Undead. And there's an advertisement for the forum written by a guy with two thumbs that's pointing right at him, and he's talking right now. You you wrote the advertisement for the forum? I did. Why don't you sneak in something about our podcast, Nick? Because it was specifically for the forum only. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The next round of advertisements that I write for the show, which was just a random thing that happened at like 2 in the morning in the chat box, I was like, ooh, I could do that. Uh, I'll make sure to mention we're not dead. Uh, yeah. Without us, there's no we're alive. We all know that. That's true. Oh, my God, Brittany. You're rubbing off on me, Greg. You're oh, off my me. God. You're picking up the worst traits. So let's talk about how boring this episode was. Oh, I was just getting to that. What did you guys think? Jeez. <laughs> that laugh out loud. The Saul 2.0 is the best part. And the airplane reference, right? I figured you are a fan of that. I enjoyed it, but I wasn't like... I, when, it, when it finally... When it kept going on, I was like, all right, this is good. I was happy to see Saul and Bert bantering. You know what I mean? Also, I turned I turned the corner. Uh, I was I was a week behind, I guess. Now I'm totally against the Pippin accent. Like hearing him talk for an extended period of time, like yes, this is bad. Mm-hmm. I have to mention now because last week you said that the podcast was quote unquote ruined for you because whenever people talk, the actors you saw the actual actors themselves. Yes, I see Nate G's now. Oh, all yeah, that's what happened to me this entire episode. I couldn't, you know, Michael, whatever whatever I had Michael imagined in my head, all I saw was Jim Gleason. 
Yeah. Even at the end, when Angel was talking about Outbreak and Dead, I just saw black curly hair. I saw Shane Salk. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was a week behind, too. I, yeah. Ugh. All right. Now, yeah. here, real quick, too. This is a timeout. I cannot confirm or deny this. Okay. Someone on my Twitter tweeted me saying that when they watch Justin TV now, mm-hmm. there's an Olive Garden ad that runs before it. And in said Olive Garden ad is Jim Gleason. Yes, I have hmm. heard that from several people, actually. And I've been trying to locate the commercial, but I can't. So before yeah, I mean, Justin I haven't been TV. Able to find it. Yeah, Justin TV. Apparently, when you watch something on Justin TV, it pops up. But okay. I Good can confirm know. nor deny. I'm going to check while we do this. Cool. Okay, you do that. All right, Nick, what did you think of this episode? Uh, I didn't Bef- mind. Without getting into the theories or whatever. Without getting into the theories. I didn't, yeah. honestly, I did not mind the episode. I wish, because uh, I'm an exposition whore. I love it. Uh, I wish there had been more investigation with Pippin. Like, specifically, I really wish that we were able to hear the first round of questioning and then the second round of questioning and then maybe, you know, show up where we did. So that way you can compare the way oh, that from Pippin... last... No, just even, like, instead of, like, starting where it did, rewind that entire scene, like, five or ten minutes in the past and start it there so you can hear what Pippin says first. Then you can hear him have to repeat the information and then have to hear him answer again. Because mm. what struck me most about Pippin's answers is that he was so angry and there was no like pleading or de- it like it was there was desperation, like especially towards the end, like, please, you don't understand. I really, really, really don't want to have to go back out there. Uh, so that to me would have been nice to see was just a little bit more of Pippin having to repeat the story so that it didn't seem like it was just frustration out of nowhere. It was like, literally, I told you this exactly the same. And also because if he repeated the same story over and over again verbatim, then he's absolutely lying. Because that means that he was trained and coaxed oh, okay. to repeat the same answers. But since we didn't get a chance to hear that, we don't know whether or not that's how he uh, told the story. And you would hope that Kelly would pick up on that because that's a very sort of basic thing is that someone that repeats the same story with the exact same words, the exact same intonation, the same sort of like beat. That's a trait that they're lying. That's that's a pretty good tip off their line because they have rehearsed and memorized the script. Oh, look at you. Okay. okay. I thought it was really interesting that he he went out of his way to say like, I've already told you about my friends and where we camped and everything. And like he listed all this stuff like that would be in a checklist in his head, right? To, right. That, that sort of thing. And, from. But it's not, it seems like no one else picked up on the fact that, and obviously again, we didn't hear the beginning of the interrogation with Victor and Michael and Kelly. So we don't know what he said first, but if he repeated the same thing over and over again, without any variation or like, Oh yeah, I remember this little detail. Now we're going to forget this little detail here. That sort of thing. Like this is the same sort of, th- that's the reason why, you know, cops interrogate people over and over and over and over again. is So they trip themselves up on their lie. So you have to assume that Kelly knows how to do that. And Michael probably would know how to do it too. Um, right. So obviously he passed the sniff test on it, but mm-hmm. yeah, it would have been nice to see as well. I also think that maybe if you reverse chapter two and chapter episode parts two and three, that would have been a really kick-ass cliffhanger too. If the explosion ended the chapter. Uh, Instead of the this bird, oh, this bird's okay. wings are clipped. I think I think that would have been a really cool cliffhanger too. I'm fine with the way it ended, but I just think that the suspense of explosion and impending. Uh oh, did they live? Would be cool. Right. I think something this episode might seem kind of lackluster to us now, but I think it's the kind of episode that after we find out what Pippin's all about, we'll uh-huh. listen back to it and we'll be like, oh, okay. It makes you know, so now- much sense now. Exactly. Oh, just for a revolver. It makes so much sense now. 
because he loves it when I lisp on oh, the podcast. Oh, he, he likes your lisp. He That's loves right. it. He just thinks it's the greatest thing ever. Okay, so since we're on the topic of Pippin, let uh, Greg, do you have any luck finding that commercial? No, it seems <sighs> like they've already switched it out. But so I went to YouTube, uh-huh. and I was looking for it there, and I just ran into a Jim Gleason LA acting coach, Hollywood Trials, uploaded by Claire Doden, a name I know from We're Alive. Damn, hmm. there you go. Um, okay, so yeah, Pippin. Two things. One, do you think the Maulers would actually go through all the trouble to create like this fake back history for this guy, create a passport just to get him into the tower? And two, why don't you think – why was he beat up? That's the other thing. Is He said that they beat him until the point of unconsciousness. And also he said that they killed everybody else. His whole story is fishy. He got beat to where he, they, he thought that, you know, oh, I can fool him, then I'm passed out, and then he just ran away. It all, it all sounds bogus. I mean, the, the thing that jumps out at me, and I posted it somewhere on the um, <clears throat> uh, Part 3 discussion board, was an, a very recent episode of uh, Burn Notice on uh, USA. Um, the spy, Michael Weston, has to go into like a holding cell with someone that he's taken hostage. But he needs to make him think that he's actually a hostage too. And the only way that you can convince a hostage that you're also a hostage and you're being beat up by a government agent is to get punched in the face because no matter how good your makeup is they're you're, they're going to be close enough to tell that you did not actually get your ass kicked so if he is a plant scratch beat him up so that he can pass that test and there's a theory that rock daddy put forward on there as well that um perhaps it's not actually pippin's passport it's something that the maulers found he was a close enough match but he wasn't a perfect match so they beat his face to the point that it was unrecognizable to the passport photo I was just about to bring that conversation up, but yes, exactly. Uh, the other thing that Tandem25 brought up, he says, At about 2.50, Douchebag, or Pippin, gives his account of his getaway. He makes no mention of getting a gun. Where did he get his gun, fr- gun from? And he says she, he got it from scratch when she dropped him off to infiltrate the tower. Um, my guess would be if, if they are going through enough trouble that they found a guy at Passport, uh, they would probably go through enough trouble to give him a gun that was empty just to help sell the... The ruse, if it is one. I find frustrating that this little interrogation group isn't, they're, you know, they're not, at, like, asking the questions I would want to know. Like, okay, where did you get your gun? Why the heck were you beat up? What? Why were they killing you? Why are they beating all these people up? So are you, both of you guys think he's a mole? I think that it can break one of two ways. And the reason, the only reason I think it can break away from him being a mole is that when was the last time Casey made something so blatantly obvious as... I need to go drop Pippin off. And then all of a sudden, Pippin shows up a chapter part later, beat the hell, and he's going to the tower. You know, that, that to me makes me not ready to commit to one way or the other whether he's a mole is because it's too easy. And every time that I think that there's something that's this, uh, like... Are you pounding the desk uh, yeah, while yeah, you make you this pound- point? Oh, are you like, are you like at your podium like Mussolini? I am. Uh, no, actually, there's a random box of... Uh, Canada Dry seltzer water on my table that I poked a hole in the box because I hate seltzer water and Fresh Direct gave it to me for free on accident. Damn, because I had like this epic image of my head of you like pounding on your desk and I was thinking... I'm sorry, did I say Canada Dry seltzer? But I am pounding on my bully pulpit that uh, everyone just believes <laughs> I have. Sorry, I had no okay. idea. Okay, I misspoke. No, I apologize. It, it's awesome, but I can't edit that out. But it's okay. It's a good effect. <laughs> okay, I can try and start the answer all over again. No, no, no. You're no, fine. You're fine. All right, this cool. is all staying in there. This is all staying in the exactly. show. Exactly. Damn it. makes the show. Uh, no, this yeah. is what makes us so authentic. Um, I don't even know what we're talking about. We were talking about whether uh, Casey being 
too obvious. Oh, and every right, time right. that yeah, too, he's never this obvious, you ne- you never know when like something. They, he, it wouldn't be teased this obviously this far ahead. Well, if he ha- if Scratch if Casey hadn't inserted that line where Scratch is I have to drop Pippin off, then I would have believed Pippin's story, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Just because, but I think that line was inserted, you know, for a few reasons. Either one, to associate well, just to associate him with the Maulers, and two, to you know raise that question in your head. What just that general suspense that he keeps inserting to this fucking story? Exactly. Crazy. <laughs> We have a few people that do not think Pippin is the mole. This first theory comes from Have Crowbar Will Travel. He says, Sorry, but I'm going to put on my force protection anti-terrorism instructor hat for a minute. Bear with me, please. What kind of humans, human intelligence, gathering of intel via interpersonal contact, threat can he pose by showing up at the front door and telling them where he came from? Everyone will be on guard. He won't make any friends, and you need to get people to lower their guard in order to gather that kind of information. Humans, bread and bread, bread and butter is gathering bits and pieces of information and putting them together like a puzzle. Pippin's possible angles: sabotage, damaging equipment, poisoning rations. Subversion: think hostile take take over through deception and outright violence. This is kind of what Stephen was trying when he was questioning Bert's leadership, eroding the belief in authority. My apologize, my apologizes for getting uppity and long-winded. Wow. Okay, so there's like a professional point of view and everything. Those damn military people and all their like what do extracurricular they know? knowledge of human intelligence and stuff. Mm-hmm. Silly crowbar. Mascaria, Mascaria. Greg, you thought this Mascaria girl was a guy at one point, and I think she's still a little offended. So you might want to publicly apologize. When did, when did I ever say anything about oh, her? God, I don't never, know. This like, name doesn't even sound familiar. <laughs> I think you read her name off of a chat box, like episode four. Or yeah, something. it was early on. I think. That well, it's that's, that's your own be... goddamn fault. Why does everybody make their <laughs> dumb handles so hard to freaking read? Game well, over, Greggy. It's all Nick Voodoo. It's all right there. Mascaria. That's your own fault. I don't know if you're a girl, a guy, a rabbit, whatever. It's your own. It's your life. Rabbit. You're living it. <laughs> it's all good fun. All right. She says, if Pippin were a mole sent to the tower by the Maulers to spy or whatever, then why, oh why, in God's name, did he tell the tower that he came from the Maulers? The only other backstory that could have put the tower on edge in the same matter would be someone telling them that they came from the colony and had supported Gatekeeper. Pippin knew that the Tower and the Maulers had squabbled, so why would he tell them? Because he's telling the truth. Though we've only met one so far, I'm sure there are other people in the greater Los Angeles area who are going it alone. Why didn't he say, hey, I was camping and everything happened and now I've been living alone? Having Scratch beat him up and send him to the Tower to tell the Tower that Scratch had beat him up and then he'd run off seems like a ridiculous, difficult way to go about planting another mole. No, because it immediately gets sympathy. They already know the Maulers are bad. You show up and you're beat up and you're, you, you've are you been through what they've been through. All right, this is another theory um, going around on the forums is that Pippin has family that is being held hostage. When he makes mention at the very beginning of, of the episode that they were camping, people are thinking, okay, they, could that be family and that Pippin's being blackmailed. You know, you go in here, you infiltrate the tower, you get us what we need, otherwise your family will die i happen to like that theory that's a that's i mean especially if uh you believe that he actually is from england with the passport is legit that he was out camping with someone this is the only reason i can think of that they would be able to convince him uh to go do what he's doing now and the family would have to be with dry because obviously they're not with the team either that or they got killed by uh the one with the markings in that ambush and they were pushing the truck out of the way but that would be kind of crappy Unless they were the slaves that were in the cage and they just... Yeah, there's that. That'd be shitty, too. 
Okay, so let's talk about that airplane reference. Clarky says, I might be reading way too deeply into this, but with the airplane reference, I picked up on two things. Abortion, possible hint that Lizzie's possible pregnancy. Also, an airplane doesn't someone with no commercial flying experience end up having to land the plane. Perhaps this is a hint to a future event in which something happens to one of the tower's pilots mid-flight and someone else has to land. Or maybe it's just a nod off to the fact that someone with little to no flying experience will have to fly to one of the copters anyway. Have to fly one of the copters anyway. Uh, I mean, I, I could see Casey doing that. He likes to do that. I know when he picked the name Pippin, it's a homage to a few different things. Obviously, we don't know what they are yet because it might give away his role. But I think you're reading way too much into it. I think they're reading way too much into it as well, especially with the Lizzie thing. I mean, we already kind of know that there is a pilot unless you want to believe a lot of the Kalani is the rat and is a Mahler in disguise theory and blah, blah, blah. But you already know there's only one pilot, and you already know that someone else is going to have to do it with little to no experience anyway. Uh, so that Well, it, now, hold on. Let's all stop for a second, too, because we're disparaging the movie Airplane. Uh, Ted Stryker had plenty of flying experience. Right. It wasn't that he didn't have flying experience. He just was so jarred from the war. He couldn't. He hadn't flown in so long. But what the 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 post said because I was about to jump on the fact that he uh, the the who was it tandem? I was going to jump on him on the forum. I was like, no, Ted Stryker had plenty of flying experience. He said commercial flying experience. Ah. And there's a big difference between the jumbo jet and uh, the fighters that he was flying. So that's why. Uh, that's why I was like, oh, oh, it was such a good point I wanted to make, but you beat me to it by saying So commercial. do you think it's just a coincidence then that that specific line was, I mean, I don't see things, I don't know the context. I mean, you're at an airport. You're at an airport. That's all it was, I think. Yeah, I mean, especially without knowing exactly where they are in the airport, I assume they're not near the, the drop-off for passengers and whatnot where this scene took place in the movie. But, you know, it just could be as simple as you see a white stripe near a curb, and you're like, oh. The white zone is for loading and unloading of passengers. It could really be as simple as that, especially if you have the apparent encyclopedic knowledge of movies that Bert does. Alrighty, because I don't know how the whole line was delivered in context. I've never seen the film. So I thought it was just funny, you know, because there's all these theories going around that she's pregnant because she was thrown up and blah, blah, blah. And then now they're talking about an abortion and it's the only sensible thing to do. So um, this is a minor thing. Kelly and Michael are having a conversation about IDs. Now, do you think that was significant in any way? Because we learned that neither of them carry their IDs anymore. And Nick, you said earlier that, you know, having um, Lizzie's ID is what saved her, ultimately saved her. Do you think these IDs will come into play at any point? Or it was just a conversation for the hell of it? That's kind of hard to figure out because, you know, the end, the end of air quote, you know, the end of society as we know it. What is the, like, there's that great quote from the stand uh, where uh, the people are being uh, captured by whatever authority and like, which social security number, and they all laugh because what difference does it make? There's no society anymore. Why do you really need to know who I am? Because my backstory doesn't make a difference to you. You know, at this point, it's like, why does the backstory of anyone in the tower ultimately make a difference? You know, because society's over with. We know who we are because we're interacting with each other. There's no need to carry an ID anymore. All right. Um, so let's talk about the helicopter. What do you think led up to the helicopter's current situation? Um Blood and Ice Cream had a theory. It says, I just listened to Chapter 18 again and noticed that Victor mentioned to Pegs and Lizzie during the early days of the outbreak that the U.S. The Coast Guard was using helicopters to rescue the people who built the colony, but after a few days, they stopped coming. So maybe they were transporting them back to LAX? That would be very, very unfortunate for everyone that was down south. What I think is the most interesting part of it is the fact that the helicopter itself has bullet holes in it. 
because the people that are in control of the helicopter, in theory, should be the ones with the guns. So they should be firing away from the cop, the helicopter and not at it. Which means it's either one of two things that they were taking someone from wherever and uh, someone like near the helicopter turned and thus turned everyone else and thus a firefight ensued and the helicopter got hit with uh, um, a couple of stray shots. Or that means that there was a human-to-human helicopter uh, battle with machine guns. And, you know, there's bits of... It doesn't say... Uh, you know, Saul says, oh, there's bits of his head still inside the helmet. You know, does that mean that the guy got killed by a zombie? Does that mean that he got killed with a headshot? And then part of, you know, uh, his brain is still stuck to the inside of it because he got it blown out by a bullet. We all know zombies want to leave extra brain in a helmet. These aren't your normal kind of zombies, Britt. You're right, Greg that's Miller, like, I'm That's sorry. like a little appetizer. It's like finger food. You know, you can eat it as you're dragging the zombie... You can eat it as you're dragging your prey back to the arena so they can get barbecued nom, later. Nom, 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 All right. nom. Nom, 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 Exactly. Um, Arkham's theory is, seeing as how the bird has bullet holes, I gotta think either the Maulers or a smaller faction, maybe just an armed group of people wanting to get on and told it was full. So they decided to shoot it out, and the chopper got disabled in the process. Um... Then he brings up another point. He says, my question is this. Wouldn't the rain have washed away the blood? So was this incident recent, or did I make up the rain? I seem to remember it pouring in a previous episode. Job then responded to that on the forum and said, the helicopter was inside a hangar, roof overhead, no rain to wash it away. Casey then intervened and said that the helicopter was not in a hangar and that it was outside, and he also said he was playing a little devil's advocate. Someone Google blood stains in concrete. Did you Google them, Brittany? I didn't Google them, but a bunch of other people did. Because I'm a yes. lazy bastard. And the general consensus was that it's not that easy to wash away. Like a little, it is a nigh little... upon impossible to clean blood off concrete. Right. So a little a rainstorm wouldn't wash it away. Nope. It's like, perfect, like there are entire industries based around the cleaning of uh, blood off of things. And they have to use some pretty intense cleaners to do it. Ew. And I know this because I saw Dirty Jobs once. Oh, that's a good show. It is a great show. Great show. Um, Leto has a military theory. Uh, he says, so I'm assuming that the red fluid is hydraulic fluid, class 3 leak for other military types out there, which would make the helicopter inoperable. Deadline for the military types again. The MP5 could be from the pilot. Some aviation units give pilots MP5s or M4s as they are smaller and can be stowed away easier and still operate the aircraft. If I were a betting man, I'd guess that the MP5 came from the crew defending itself from someone or something. Adrian and Arkham also have a dry theory. Adrian says that the first idea that popped into my head when the chopper was shot was that whoever the mole was let Durai know about the tower's plans. Arkham says, I like the Durai theory. Either he took it out after they found it drenched in carnage, seeing as they didn't need it for his plan, or he was trying to get it for the maulers, and all hell broke loose, and they ended up accidentally damaging it. I can see either scenario happening, so I don't want to plant my flag in one just yet. And again, it's that that question of not being able to see what what that scene looks like and where the shell casings are. It's really hard to know how exactly this helicopter would end up right. with bullet holes that makes it inoperable. We don't have a so, lot of yeah. Um, and then for you Choppa junkies out there, some of our smarter forum folks have some models. I'm going to read them. I want you to know I have no idea what the hell I'm about to be reading. So if I sound stupid, that's why. BV Glee says, as for the chopper, I think it's an HH3F Pelican pressed back into... Of course it is. <laughs> oh, it's... That was so the thing I thought of when I saw it, when I heard it. 
pressed back into service during the crisis. It's from the S61 family, like the USAF Jolly Green Giant, the USN Sea King, or the USMC Marine One. It's huge, huge. It's amphibious, and it was a USG, USCG-specific version until replaced by the Jayhawk in the 90s. Yes, it could also be a CG Jolly Green Giant because some USAF surplus were bought by the U.S. Coast Guard. Leto then responded and says, "I'm not buying the SH3. They just aren't big enough." Of course. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows this. I, know. I don't buy the SHG either. Come on, are you kidding me? Three, sweetheart, not G. It's it got too many wheels. <laughs> the blades just had too many blades. Too many axles, right? Yeah, totally. He uh, says they just aren't big enough to get Saul and Bert that excited. And if it was an SH-3, Bert would have recognized it from his service in Vietnam. I know that one you can say the same with the MH-53, but they weren't widely used during Vietnam, and then they were only used by the Air Force. The SH-3 holds less than 20 people, and the SH-92, which I suggested, holds about 25. And on the other hand, the M- MH-53 holds about 50 to 60 people. That could have produced the echo, because um, someone thought that Oh, Job thought it was in a hangar because of the echo, but Casey said that the echo was just because it was so big inside. Um, he says, but I, like I said, the U.S. Coast Guard doesn't have the 53, so that makes me a bit suspicious. So there you go. I know some people understand that. Greg seems to understand everything. I got it all, yeah. yeah all right. Uh, okay, and those are pretty much the talking points I have, Nick, unless you have something else before we get into your predictions. Um, no. Oh, the only other thing is... Um... No, no. Yeah, okay. you covered that already. I lied. You I have lied. nothing else to cover except for predictions and then one form thing later. All right. Okay, so let's get into your voodoo lounge. Can you can you describe us what the voodoo lounge looks like? When we walk in, what do we see? What do we feel? Uh, what do we hear? You, you feel uh, a little bit of air conditioning. It's nice and cool in the voodoo lounge. It's got to be cool. Uh, you see some fog rolling over top of the bar. Some low-level, like... Phantom of the Opera, clinging to the ground kind of stuff. Basically dry ice if you want to be technical. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, black lights, laser lights, stripper poles, but no strippers because we're a classy place and we just want people to have fun. I, I like it. I feel like I'm home right now. Do the stripper poles make you feel like home? The, oh, <laughs> buzzing. I, do not, I do not have a witty comeback for that. So, yes, Greg, the stripper poles make me feel like I'm at home. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, Nick. What you got? I'm going to be quickly recapping my predictions for Chapter 20, and then I'm going to give you a preview of what's going to be coming out on Monday in the Voodoo Lounge for the predictions for Chapter 22. All right, so uh, did overall pretty well this past chapter. I went 6-2-1, and one, which is seemingly kind of where I've been going lately, so that's cool. So that brings me to 16-8-2 and two overall since I started doing this in February. Uh, so a couple of the quick ones. Uh, Lizzie's location where we found this chapter is actually a loss because even though we the listener know where she is the tower does not know where she is at all so we all lost that except for seven people that said that uh, they wouldn't find her uh, Mauer, uh, the Mauler Tower team up which was in air quotes which was the uh, prediction from uh, they call me revolver uh, <clears throat> is being called a draw this time because uh, there is a Pippin and we said that it was going to be a straggler or a deserter of the Maulers that was going to become the team partner for them. Uh, but we don't know where Pippin's allegiance is lying. He didn't give us any real information. So we can't call that a win. We can't really call it a loss. So we're calling it a draw. So I'm throwing everyone's predictions out on that. 
Um, Tower will attack the Maulers and get interrupted. I said there was no way, so that didn't even get close to happening. Lizzie's no was my guarantee for the chapter, and I said it was going to be about a place, and that was a win, and it was confirmed by Casey pretty quickly. Uh, so Occam and his razor ruled the day. It wasn't a person. It wasn't something weird or anything like that. It was she wasn't where she expected to be. Uh, pegs will be demanded as trade. Uh, I still wholeheartedly believe this is going to happen. That she's going to be, be the one that trained. So he said. Uh, pegs is going to be demanded as a trade oh, for Lizzie. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Okay. Uh, and that's going to be Scratch doing the demanding of that because I'm pretty sure she wants to get her hands on uh, Pegs' throat still. Yeah, she does. Uh, hell yeah. Um, so uh, I still think it's going to happen. It just didn't happen yet, and that's what I predicted was it wasn't going to happen yet because too much had to happen, like finding Lizzie and you know confrontation Bob. So I said it wasn't going to happen. It didn't. Uh, we found out the fate of Jirai. <clears throat> I also said that uh, Saul was going to die. I still think he's the next character lined up to die. But he's obviously not going to die this chapter. Uh, I and say, I said he wasn't. Dead. I'm still saying Bert's going to be the next character to die. No, I can they, totally. Bert will not die. Sorry, Greg. Every, everyone happen. dies. They heard the reaction for him at the live event. Next character to die, Hope. Oh. She's run her course. <laughs> She's actually wander off a balcony or the roof or something. <laughs> poor Hope. The poor kids in this show. Tommy dies a horrible death. Now Greg Miller wants Hope to die. Terrible, I wanted man. Tommy dead too, so I got my wish on that. You so really, here comes you wanted one. Tommy dead? I did not enjoy Tommy. <laughs> was it his? Aww. Was it his voice or is his character? A little bit of his voice. Oh, okay. No. Okay. No. I met him at the show. Though. He talks normal, fine. There, it's just. It's, I'll tell you what it was. It, as usual, terrible direction from Casey Wayland. That was. <laughs> oh. Confirmed. Pete dies. Wow. Jim Gleason tells me about what really happens back there. Jim Gleason, he's the <laughs> real man. Who? Okay, yeah, that was great, Casey. All right, here's how you got to do this. All right. Try it this way. <laughs> Oh, don't listen to Greg. Okay, Nick. Continue. And then the bonus <laughs> prediction was that Riley was going to come out of the closet, and despite the fact that uh, we got more evidence that she may be gay, mm-hmm. she didn't come out officially, so there that is also a loss. Uh, but that honestly is interesting because the forum is split the most on this one point more than anything else. The vote was 19 to 18 in favor of her coming out. So, uh, so people thought she was going to come out, or people thought she wasn't a lesbian? Of the, of the doing math quickly, 37 people that voted on this particular uh, prediction, 19 of them thought that she would come out, 18 of them thought that she wouldn't. Oh, okay. So, it's close. It's going to happen. It's going to be the season finale. That's the cliffhanger? That's going to be the cliffhanger. That's the cliffhanger for the <laughs> Let season. Let me tell you about my sexual orientation. Join us next week. <laughs> no, Michael Swan, go away. Let her keep talking. Ah. <sighs> Okay, so here are the new predictions uh, as a preview. So this is obviously Friday the 13th. So when are these coming out? Monday? These are coming out on Monday, probably around 7 in the morning. I tend to have my stuff uh, auto-fire so I don't have to be awake. Wow. When the rest of you, like normal people, go to work and I'm still sleeping because I work in theater. (sighs) Theater! (laughs) The theater! The lovely theater! Hey, you should have Greg on one of your plays one time. He does some pretty good impressions, especially his Riley impressions from last week. I Those were heard. good. I like croissants. All right, you know, don't you can't do it justice. Don't even try. <laughs> I will keep that in mind. However, it would require uh, Greg to come all the way out to New York for a couple months. Oh, oh wow. Okay. We'll keep it in mind. Um, so anyway, so here's a couple of things that are going to be in the Voodoo Lounge uh, this upcoming Monday. Um, <clears throat> is uh, my prediction that Tar, Bricks, and Lizzie have all completely survived the blast. Mm-hmm. 
as 100%, I guarantee that they are surviving this. Yes, I agree with that. One has to imagine that that they survive, and if one can survive, they all have to survive, because that's kind of how, you know, the the impact wave Mm -hmm. from a bomb works, is if one person survives, they all probably will survive, too. Okay. Uh, Especially since Tar started to show a little bit more personality, other than being Stevie Rapist, (laughs) uh, and shows that he actually can be useful and does know some stuff that is actually you know, relevant to their situation. See, that's the thing. That's what I said last week. If he wasn't a rapist, I'd want him to live. But Right, and alas. you know what? He probably won't survive in, uh, indefinitely, but I think he survived this because he would know enough where the best place to try to get to was. He just didn't get there because the car broke down first. Okay. Um, my next prediction uh, has to do with Durai, and I think that Durai went south to the colony, and I base this off of three things. The Maulers were scanning 40 radio signals and have a radio and have a radio that the tower did not think of. Uh, the odds of them picking up Michael's transmission from uh, the the colony are very high. Uh, two, Bricks and Tar talk about scratches friends, but then that stupid blonde Lizzie cut them off before they could expand on the situation. <laughs> so, uh, Scratch may have been the one that made contact with uh, <clears throat> the colony in the first place. And three, Durai went south. What is south of everything in the We're Alive universe is the colony. Uh, so I'm 95% confident that he went to the colony and that he took half the maulers to the colony, but it's only 55% positive we'll find out about it this chapter. Okay, so I have a question for you. So what do you think yes. Durai's intentions with the colony is? Because doesn't Scratch say that they have about 30 people with them? She said that they have about they have about 30 people with the tankers, but there's no indication how many people Durai took. How, how, how they split right. the So groups. it could be, I doubt it is, because I don't think Durai would be this stupid. Uh, it could be Durai by himself as like uh, uh, sort of like an ambassador to try and get into the colony. Ah. Uh, or, which I, again, I doubt that that's the case. He probably has a gigantic brood of sharpshooters with him to try and take out anyone that would shoot him. Um, but I think that the entire point would be uh, I think that Durai's entire plan from the beginning has always been, we need to find a better place to live than this shitty mall. And now he's got a clue as to where that might be. Now, there's no, there's nothing to say that Durai isn't going to go there with horrible, horrible intentions to try and kill whoever leading, which is now, I guess, air quotes, supreme leader, formerly the artist known as a uh, gatekeeper. But... Um, I think that he's going down south to the colony because I don't know of anything else right now unless they found the other tower, which happened to be really, really far south um, of anywhere else that he could possibly be going. You don't think he's going to Catalina? I think that that is a very interesting but lackluster idea, personally. Why? Uh, I don't... Going to any island immediately limits your resources as opposed to the mainland where you can continually find things or, you know, stake out your claim to things and protect it. Catalina is a very, I, I mean, I don't know how big Catalina Island is. It may be big enough to support his group, but it seems like it puts a very finite uh, thing. It, it puts the brick wall a lot closer to you as opposed to being on the mainland where you have a lot more expansive place to go. And we already saw that the Maulers expanded rapidly and a huge amount of territory that they claimed is their own and i think that going to catalina just goes against kind of what their personality is and i also think that eastern bay is out of the idea out of the question because i really don't think that after having spent 15 to 20 years in lockup you're gonna go back okay 
They can see that. So you think Dry is going to try to take over the colony or try to live in harmony and peace and all that good stuff? One of those two things, yes. I won't say which one yet because I don't have the foggiest clue because I don't even know if he's going there. That's why it's predictions, and that's why this is fun. Okay. Continue. Uh, then the last one is uh, the Tar, Bricks, and Lizzie will try to make it back to the tower uh, as a group. Uh, and this is going off the assumption that and this is only going to work if Scratch leaves them behind. If Scratch leaves them behind, then they're going to have nowhere to go. And all of a sudden, Lizzie's got this really great place for them to go. Um, so if Scratch, if they blow up, they've now done what they are going to do at the arena. They can't do anything else to it because they don't have the appropriate amount of tankers anymore. So Scratch leaves because their plan was unsuccessful and you need to get the hell out of Dodge before all these things come rolling out after you. So if they leave them behind... Mm-hmm. Then the only other place for them to safely get to is probably the tower. And the tower is really, really pretty close to uh, where the arena is compared to everything else. So I think if we knew what – I think we kind of know what Scratch's motives are for keeping Lizzie, assuming she wants to use her as a trade or whatnot. I, mm-hmm. just to, I can't see her, you know, how, depending on how strong those motives are, considering her a lost cause. You know, she's going right. through all this trouble to keep her alive and keep them with her. With her, You know, you'd think she would at least check on her before they left. But it's Quite a prediction. Quite possibly, but it's a prediction. And this is one that I'm not really confident either way. It's probably going to fall in the 45 to 55 range. And I'm probably going to start going lower the more that I think about this. Because usually I have uh, a full week from the point the chapter ends to uh, get my blog ideas in order. So, you know, we're recording this on whatever the tuesday right right after so uh i didn't have a whole lot of time so these are the things that just immediately is like what could possibly happen and this came into my head these are raw I, ideas these are about as raw as they're going to get but since i've now announced that they're going to be uh uh in the blog on we're not dead on friday hey i guess i probably should make a way to refine it so uh the numbers might change and my the way my prediction might fall might change but overall, these three things are definitely going to be in there. And I also did want to mention, I didn't mention it before, that remember that Michael mentioned Bill, yes. our upstairs neighbor? Yes. And that's the first time that we have mentioned Bill since we buried him or you know, burned him alive in a Viking funeral. But just remember that we haven't mentioned Bill and you know, now it's upwards of almost 10 chapters, uh-huh. give or take-ish. Uh, and we all know that Bill is the rat, and that just uh, could be a very gentle reminder to everyone. Wait, 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 wait. You you think Bill's the rat? No. Okay, the were you saying thinks... that with sarcasm or? No, I'm saying the tower thinks that the Bill oh, that Bill is the okay, rat. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. gotcha. All right. Okay. So no, <laughs> Bill's the rat. That's the lamest cop out. Uh, no, um, it's that. Hey, everyone, just a gentle reminder. Bill was our rat. Just remember, Bill's a rat. Uh-huh. Bill's the rat, and we're just bringing the idea of the rat back to the forefront. While and I the was betrayal of the tower. Yeah, while I was in that conversation between Michael and Kelly, in the back of my head, I'm like, God, what if Kelly was the rat? And just like listening to that conversation, the way Michael is saying, you know, I can't. What did he say? He pretty much says that he can't um, assume the best in people. That he has to, you know, be careful. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was just, and the way Kelly was like, well, well, why would they make a passport? It was just. Fit. I'm not saying she's the rat. Honestly, I haven't given much thought as to who I think the rat is. It's but... going to be amazing when it's revealed, and then everyone's going to immediately go back and listen to the entire series right, again and right. go, and that, that was... makes so much sense. And that was one of those things. I was like, God, this would be so cool if Kelly was the rat looking back on this conversation. It would just yeah. be killer. Cool. 
Well, there you go, Voodoo Lounge. You need the you need a theme song or something. We can play it like at this point. Uh, I will think of something for you, and maybe we can get it. Great, come it. up with a little cute like do do do. I'm sold. I like that. <laughs> uh, so I have a few things to announce and go over before we dive into the listener mail. Um, the first one is that We're Not Dead is nominated for a Parsec. I don't even know what that is. Parsec. It's a podcast award under the category Best Speculative fan- Fiction Fan Podcast. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. Uh, this show really <laughs> nominated for an award. Okay, well the award category is pretty much best podcast about a podcast. And you also, you also, <laughs> you, you're like, I don't even know what this. We're we're nominated. You're like, Parsec. I don't even know what this award okay. is. Anyways, go vote for us. <laughs> no, okay. So for Greg and I to officially complete our application, which I'm taking care of. Um, we need to create a 30-second intro, and we also need to select a 10-minute clip that best sums up our podcast. Um, if you have any suggestions, you can post them on the forum or send them to where, Greg? You can send them to the we're, to We're oh. Not Dead podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. That was a good one. You caught me off guard. You never caught me off guard anymore. We're Not Dead podcast at gmail.com. I'm getting sharper. Um, so yeah, so if you guys have any uh, ideas, please, for the love of God, I can't even begin to think of last week's episode. So if you have anything that stands out, like maybe Greg's octopus in a cage stunt, that was pretty funny, I guess. Anyway, and more important news, uh, We're Live is nominated for Best Speculative Fiction Audio Drama. So they need to submit, I believe it is an entire episode, or an hour's up, worth. Up to 60 minutes worth so of So probably uh, an stuff. entire chapter. Probably. So if you have any um, suggestions for Casey, you can post them on the forum or you can email them to me and I'll forward them on to Casey. All right, uh, Nick, you have some information on a We're Live Facebook day? Yes, uh, it is actually today, the day this is being released, Friday the 13th. Oh. Um, Friday the 13th. Um, and what we are doing is we have a thread on there, uh, zombiepodcast.com slash forum. Uh, look in the top news for official We're Alive Facebook Day. Uh, and we have a few examples of things uh, of like Facebook statuses for you to promote We're Alive with. Uh, some kind of fun and like crazy things that I wrote, uh, uh, Revolver wrote. And since we posted this about um, three hours ago from the point that uh, we're recording this, uh, we've got a whole bunch of really, really cool things uh, that people are writing in themselves. So the whole point uh, like, of this is, are you going to link them to We're Alive's Facebook page? We are trying to link them to We're Alive's Facebook page and or to zombiepodcast.com. So, for instance, Mikey D. Too Tall, we stood there nervously, and I started to think I might have overshot it this time, when suddenly I hear a roar that shook all of L.A., and I knew we weren't the only ones left. We were the unlucky ones. We're alive. www.zombiepodcast.com. All right. So the point is to get people interested in it. Take any of these, leave it as your Facebook status. Also, Friday is Follow Friday on Twitter. Adur. So, hashtag FF at We're Alive. No apostrophes, W-E-R-E-A-L-I-V-E. We'll link them to the We're Alive Twitter page. Get people to follow We're Alive. Get them hooked like we all are, because you're listening to this, you're obviously hooked. Um, so, again, zombiepodcast.com forward slash uh, forum. And go to Top News to find the official We're Alive Facebook day. Right. And I think their Facebook page just hit 10,000 fans. Oh, did it? It did. 
So let's get it to 11,000, guys. Hoorah. Hell yeah. Okay. Um, also, chapter one reenactments. I, everyone's probably forgotten about these. But the deadline is Friday, May 20th. For more information, you can just go to zombiepodcast.com slash forum. And it's under the We're Not Dead category. And, uh, Greg, last week someone submitted a script for us, Pike Paw. It was dynamite. Wasn't that fun? So I'm thinking people should send us more scripts, and if we use it on the show, I'll send you a t-shirt or some shit. Whoa. Right? Hot damn. Hot damn. It can be about anything. Preferably Pete could be in it. No, no, not preferably. You you just let your okay. creative juices Clearly, flow. Clearly, my sarcasm wasn't uh, you know strong. It was enough. not. You're right. It wasn't there, Brittany. Because who the hell would joke about War Lives' most important character? No one. That's right. who. Because he's made an appearance in. Move the show. Move mm. the show on. Okay. Move along, bomber rocker rocker. I'm moving on. Okay. Uh, and that is that. So let's move on to some listener mail. Okay, Paul Chambers, we touched on this earlier, but he just says, I felt that this episode's ending fell a little short. I did like that we got to hear some of Saul and Bert, but I didn't think the ending was as good as, say, part one with the introduction of Pippin. Did anyone else feel the same way? Yeah. Quite simply, yes. Yes, pretty much. A lot of people did. And you know it's hard because, you know, each episode generally ends on, like, a dynamite cliffhanger. But you can't do that with every single episode. And this one was shorter. And like Casey said, the first two episodes, you know, they had a lot. They had to cram in. So this one got the short end of the stick. It happens. Don't bitch. Um, Private Parts. That's his name on the forum. Says, hi, guys. Just writing in to find out when your first scary zombie experience was. Personally, mine was three to four years ago when Call of Duty World of War came out. I was like 11. Oh, my God. At the t- <laughs> uh, I was like 11 at the time. And when the last map pack for Nazi zombies came out, I got a little freaked out when they came out of the water. I have now realized that Call of Duty zombies are crap. I try not to mention this at school because it causes a minor ruckus. 11 I was gonna year- say- You were going to say something, Greg Miller? Yeah, I was trying to transition, but it's all fucked up now. It's just whatever. Fuck this show. We're not going to win any goddamn awards. Things a disaster. Well, sure you can. Just don't send them this section of it. It'll be fine. This is the only, I'm going to send them this section repeated. <laughs> Looped for ten minutes. I'm going to send him a loop of Jim Gleason on that interview we did with him. Just him talking the entire time. Jim Gleason was great. I will not I will not have you do this to him. So well, the question was, what was our first scary zombie experience? Yeah. Yeah. I saw the original Night of the Living Dead when I was 11 years old, which was sadly way, which was before uh, uh, said individual who sent in the uh, email was born. Um, and then I couldn't go in my basement for about um, um, six months. You know what I was playing when I was 11 years old? I was playing the PlayStation 1 private parts. I didn't have this luxury Xbox 360 slash PS3 mumbo jumbo. Wow. I feel older now. I know, that doesn't was help, pl- Brittany. That Sorry. doesn't help at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing the Super Nintendo and or maybe the original one still when I was 11. Um, no, my first scary zombie experience was Resident Evil 2. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't sleep for like two weeks. I kept having to crawl back in my parents' bed, which was embarrassing because I was like eight or nine at the time. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, so that was that. Greg Miller. Uh, I used to go to my aunt and uncle's house, and there they had the extended cut of Thriller on a VHS tape, oh, which was nice. the entire music video followed by then, like, you know, 20 minutes of how they did it, and Ugh. you meeting the actors and seeing them apply makeup, but that didn't make it any less scary. It, it terrified me. That still freaks me out, actually. Yeah. Uh, next one from Christopher Eichstead. It says, hello, Greg, and possible guest. I wanted to side with Greg about Saul being the mole, as there have been some suspicious actions that do not make sense otherwise. Number one. When he was fleeing the Maulers and then arrived unscathed with no one chasing him. 
Could he have been captured and then cut a deal? Number two, he never came into contact with any of the Maulers directly during the tower fight. Even so, he was the only character to be completely intoxicated. Possible guilt. Number three, Bert made mention that he never misses when it came to Tommy. Did Saul step into the bullet to drive suspicion away from him being the mole? These are some of the points that popped into my head. I mean, honestly, I think, like, number three, when you think that maybe Saul stepped into the bullet to drive suspicion away from him being the mole. I mean, I think that's a little, you know, far-fetched. Because I think when the mole's revealed, we're going to be able to go back and listen to the episodes and be like, oh, oh, you know, and understand. I don't think there's ever any indication that Saul did anything like that. That, that, that is a very valid point. I think Ray brought it up when he did the Tower Gate uh, uh, blog about uh, who the rat could possibly be and who the rat could pretty much be certainly not, is that um, there is no really clear indication how Saul got away. I know that Scrat, Latch and Scratch show up saying that they followed Saul, which is pretty good, uh, pretty obvious because they left the bike out front like idiots. Um, <laughs> oops. Uh, but there is no, there, there's nothing guaranteeing that he didn't get caught as he was trying to escape. It just seems not very plausible that he did that he got caught because that there there would have been a lot going on because they were the mall was about to be attacked by zombies, so to go and then catch him, interrogate him, turn him into the mole, and then release him just seems like a lot has to happen for that to occur. Right now, Greg, do you still think Saul's the mole? Because this was based off of your theory. Did I say that theory? It's great. Oh, I just immediately forget anything I say on any show ever. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, sure. I'll, if that's what I said before, I'll totally <laughs> stick with it. I'll totally let it ride. It's solved. That's why I'm sticking with my Datu theory because I'm not going to lie. I, there's so much evidence mounting against the idea that Datu is the rat, but I stuck myself out there and I'm just sticking my flag in. Yeah, and you are. Do it. Datu. Do it. Uh, that's funny. Not changing. <laughs> okay. Um, and finally, we have an email from The Baker. He says, Brits and Greg. You two are the miracle workers, the dream makers, the wish granters of my life. And please pass those sentiments on to Casey. Okay, maybe that's a bit overly dramatic, but hearing my zombie call along with the growls of the other winners was one of the coolest moments of my life. As soon as I heard mine, I recognized it and started re-listening to pick out the other winners. Being a part of this project for even just those few seconds is something all of us can be proud of. If you ever visit the southeast coast, look me up and we'll share some Floridoras on the beach. From the baker. <laughs> Yeah, that was cool. Nick, did you ever submit a zombie growl? Did you do that? Uh, no, I did not. You didn't? Okay. Nope. You suck. All right. Eh, sorry. And that is episode 15 of We're Not Dead. Another one in the books. Clearly. We're Yeehaw. totally going to win that Parsec Award. As long as you don't do anything with me on here, then yes, I'm sure you'll do just fine. Oh, no, you were amazing. For Gregory... That's me. That's you. For Nick. Thank you for having me again. And for me, thank you for listening to episode 15. Send us more scripts, please. And we're out. You are so strong,